Welcome to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week, where our goal is to equip the believer to do the work of the ministry. We hope that you enjoy this week's sermon by the senior leader here at Gateway Church, Pastor Chris Monahan. Well, I want to share with you this morning about uh, Ezekiel chapter 37 in the Valley of Dry Bones. And my heart today is to give you guys confidence and hope in the promises of God. I'm sure you already got enough of that this morning, didn't you? How many feel like their faith has risen a little bit in the house this morning, right? And so what I want to do is, is take, a, take some time and go through you actual the, what the scholars believe and see about Ezekiel 37, because most of the time it's a great message to preach, but when you understand that's not just a message that is to be preached, it's a message that we have seen taken place and come to pass in the history of the nation of Israel. Because I want to convince you this morning that what's happened with the nation of Israel over the past 3,500 years should make you confident in every promise God has ever made. Because if he did it to the nation of Israel, and they were a bunch of rascals. Any rascals here in the place this morning? Okay. Not me, pastor. No, not me. He did it with a bunch of rascals. He can do it with us. And if God broke his promises with the nation of Israel, what says he wouldn't break them with us? And he did, but he didn't break his promises. And so I want to take you through the, the, uh, the history of the Valley of Dry Bones. And I think we have the picture of Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. Looks like uh, The Walking Dead Part 7, right? I don't know. But Joshua 21:45 it says... Not one word of any good thing which Yahweh had spoken to the house of Israel failed. It all came to pass. Now, we're going to say that together. When I went to Asia, the Chinese people would not let me quote a scripture without them quoting it with me. I'd open up my Bible and say, no, no, wait, 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 wait. And so we're going to quote this together nice and loud, all right? One, two, three. Not one word of any good thing which Yahweh had spoken to the house of Israel failed. It all came to pass. Let's say that last one again. It all came to pass. One more time. It all came to pass. Some of you are going to need to quote that this week because we're standing in this season on the promises of God. And if you know anything about the history of the Jewish people now, I've been blessed. I was able to marry a Jewish woman 30 years ago. And so all my kids are like now legitimately Jewish. So, uh, but throughout my childhood, I was actually, my best friends were Jewish. And so I had a lot of uh, Jewish influence in my life and not realizing God was forming me, uh, creating me, getting me ready for uh, really even for my theology. I went to a Messianic Jewish Bible Institute a number of other uh, places I've studied, but I, I've always loved to understand how the, uh, the Jewish influence on the gospel. But when we look at the Jewish people, we realize uh, that history is full of great civilizations, but only one has survived to the extent of the Jewish people. And I want you to think about this. Without land for 2,000 years, with only the traditions of their forefathers, they have not only remained a people, but have flourished into a nation. How many know there were seasons where the nation of Israel looked like a valley of dry bones? 
And no one could ever believe that God could take that remnant of people that was scattered throughout the world and pull them back together into a nation. Do you understand how powerful and how awestruck we all should be about the nation of Israel? And when we look at this prophecy that had taken place under the ministry of Ezekiel, which means Ezek means strength in Hebrew, the strength of my God is what Ezekiel means. That's a good name. Uh, Ephraim was almost Ezekiel, so yeah, you're welcome, brother. Okay. Ephraim. So Ezekiel, it says this, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones and he caused me to pass among them round about and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and lo, there were very dry. How many know times and seasons God takes us in the places where he calls us to enter into a valley to prophesy? And many of you are in a valley right now and you feel like you're in a valley and this is the time where God says, prophesy yourself out of this valley. I love what it says in Psalm 23. David says, even though I walk through the valley. How many know we're supposed to walk through the valley? Okay? Too many Christians get stuck in the valley. And we need to go through it. How do we get through it? It's through standing on those promises and declaring those and prophesying those very things. This is what the Lord called Ezekiel to do. And for the nation of the Jews, notice that there were bones, but they were dry bones. Dry bones rattling. They were dry. And what that means is that they were exposed for everyone to see. How many know the entire world has seen the plight of the Jewish people? You know, there's been many oppressed people in the world, in our society. You know, we hear much about the oppressed, you know, slavery in America. But we must remember the Jewish people have been probably the most oppressed people in the history of mankind. When we look at the Holocaust, six million Jewish people were slaughtered under the German Reich, under Adolf Hitler. That's half their population, if you can imagine. And this is something that we need to recognize that it's not been inspired by God, but it's been inspired by Satan to destroy the Jewish remnant. Think about this. Less than one-third of one percent are classified as Jews. So when we think of the Jewish people, we think, oh, it's probably five percent in the world. It's less than, uh, it's less than one percent. It's a third of one percent. Statistically, they should hardly be heard of <laughs> like the Anu tucked away in the corner. Like, there are tribes in Asia right now that are bigger than the Jewish people that we've never heard of. How many have heard of the Anu tribes? I never have. So, but the Jews are heard uh, of, of totally out of proportion to their small numbers. The Jewish contribution to the world's list of great names in religion, science, in literature, music, finance, and philosophy is staggering. How many know that the Jewish people are an influential people, that they were created to influence the world. And the Bible says that God's gifts are irrevocable, that God has given the nation of Israel and its people extraordinary gifts to influence 
Hear me on that. To be an influence. And that's why Satan has tried to stomp them out. How many know that God gives gifts, but he doesn't take them back after he gives them? So if you may see a preacher and he heals the sick and raises the dead and casts out devils, but he's not living for God anymore, did you know that the gifts are still active on his life? Some people get confused at that. How can he be so anointed but not using his gift for the glory of God? I think of some singers out there that are, you know, moving people in the masses that had their gifts given to them by God and now are using them to glorify Satan and self and sin. But God didn't take his gift back, did he? And he didn't with the Jewish people. And if he kept them for the Jewish people, he will keep them for us. Abraham was given the promise. He said to Abraham, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and will, whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. It's important that we bless Israel. That's a good spot for an amen right there. As a church, we support Israel. We support uh, missions to Israel because we understand there's a blessing that comes to us when we bless Israel. You know, Spain cast the Jews out of their country in 1492. Within a century, they went from the dominant world power to a second-rate power. We see another nation, Britain, triumphed in two world wars, but in 1948 and 49, turned her back on Israel. It, within a few short years, lost almost their entire empire, the most extensive in all human history. From that very moment in history, Britain's empire underwent a process of decline and disintegration so rapid and total that it cannot be accounted by merely the relevant political, military, or economic factors. How many know when you stop blessing Israel, there's a curse that comes on your nation? Many people believe it was Trump's economic policies that caused America to prosper. But I will tell you, I think Trump's economic policies were blessing the nation of Israel. That's what I believe. There are supernatural things that happen when we bless that nation because they are a people that are called out. They're rascals like the rest of us, but they are a tribe of people that God has chosen for us to honor and to stand with. So we have to enter into valleys to be in the prophesy. And the second thing we need to do is we need to speak those things in those dark times. And many times people go through terrible things, but they have to keep faithful on contending with the promises of God. How many know that we have to create a culture, an environment of faith, and that's created by our words that we declare? There's a culture, you know, certain things grow in a culture and certain things die in a culture. We put stuff in, you know, uh, test tubes and, we, and the right culture causes growth. But I believe that a culture begins inside of us before it takes place outside of us. And so what we have to do is begin creating the culture of life and belief and faith inside each and every one of us. Like last week, we talked about going dark getting the word of God inside you and beginning to declare those things. You and I need to cultivate faith and belief because that is what changes the environment. That's what changes our outside is when it happens on the inside. I like to tell this story, and this is kind of a weird story, but it's all I got this morning. Here we go. 
When we begin to declare things over and over, it actually releases from heaven what we are declaring. We activate the spiritual realm through our voice. The Bible says the power of life and death is in our tongue, Proverbs 18, 18. And God created the world through words. We are created in God's image. Hence, we can speak and situations change. This is where people think, well, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. It's the way the kingdom of God works. And I like to use the example that, let's say, that a, 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 somebody goes into a hotel. I go into a hotel. It's a newer hotel, and I go in. I get my room, and suddenly the front desk calls and says, Mr. Monahan, I just want to welcome you to our fancy hotel. Um, we hope that you're enjoying the amenities. Uh, is there anything that we can get for you? And so I'm looking around. I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm filling up my bath right now. Um, can you please send up a rubber ducky, please? Um, sorry, sir, we uh, don't have a rubber ducky. And I'm like, what? You don't have a rubber ducky? I mean, I can't take a bath without my rubber ducky. Oh, all right. So I do that. And then imagine the next day you go to the hotel. You get into your room. The front desk calls up. How's everything going? Well, I'm just getting ready for my bath. And I was wondering if you could just send up a rubber ducky for my bath. And you understand, like, over and over, the front desk begins to hear, send up a rubber ducky. If enough of us request a rubber ducky over enough times, they will start stocking rubber duckies. Guaranteed. How many believe that to be true? Right? I want a rubber ducky. I can't take a bath without a rubber ducky. That's what happens in the spiritual realm when we come together, how many feel the Lord on my rubber ducky, rubber ducky story? I can't even talk. I'm going to start speaking in tongues over the rubber ducky story. No, but you, because there's truth in that. And that's what we have to start confessing and declaring. We got to start changing and shifting our culture. And people will laugh at you when you declare those things. When you start speaking things, I will walk, I will be healed. People go, what? No, you won't. And you just keep declaring the things that God has called you to declare. You call them out. You declare them. Because not one word, not one good word of the Lord failed. It all came to pass. It all came to pass. That's the faith that's being released from our inner man to shift the circumstances that are around us. Because how many know we're in some valleys right now? There's some dark things going on. And it's time the church rises up and begins to ask for those rubber duckies. It is promised in the book of Jeremiah, it is written, this is in a book by Jonathan Kahn called The Book of Ministry, Mysteries. He says, it is written in the book of Jeremiah, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth among the blind and the lame, the woman with child and the one who is in labor together. It was an, impossible, it was an impossibility in all of human history. This is a nation of people that after the uh, second Jewish war in 130 A.D. were banned from the land of Israel. And they were scattered throughout the world. And these people survived without a land for over 1,900 years. This has never happened in the history of our world. Their dry bones were exposed. The whole world has seen what the nation of Israel has gone through. And their rebirth in the land is a testimony, my friends. It's a testimony that if God did that in the Bible, he spoke it and said it, 
we can put our trust that every single word that God speaks will come to pass. Israel, when we look at this, is, and this is a statement by a guy named Charles Spurgeon, the great theologian and the great pastor. How many have heard of Charles Spurgeon? Charles Spurgeon said this in June 16, 1864. Isn't he a good-looking guy? He says, Israel is now blotted out from the map of the nations. Now, remember, Israel became a nation in 1948. He's declaring this June 16, 1864. Israel is now blotted out from the map of the nations. Her sons are scattered far and wide. Her daughters mourn beside all the rivers of the earth. Her sacred song is hushed. No king reigns in Jerusalem. She brings forth no governors among her tribes, but she is to be restored. She is to be restored as from the dead. This is what Charles Spurgeon prophesied in Britain, June 16, 1864, that this nation that is scattered amongst the nations will be gathered together again. We discover, and I've, as I said, I've done a lot of studying. I've read, a, read a, a book about Thomas Herschel. And Thomas Herschel was a, uh, I'm sorry, Theodore Herzl. is called the, the father of, who restored the nation of Israel. And he died at the age of 44. Think about that. He's the father of Zionism, as it would, would be called, to restore the Jews to the land. Theodore Herzl. And what happened was, is he had a vision that God was going to fulfill what he had promised. And so he gathered other Jewish people together. And if you remember, during these times in Europe, that the Jewish people were, were fearful for their lives. Um, in, in Russia, in Germany, in Europe, in France, and all these nations, they knew their time was, was coming where they, where they would be slaughtered if they didn't leave. This was not some kind of like, hey, let's, let's find a place just for fun. It was necessary for the Jewish people to have their own nation. Uh, they actually were offered Uganda. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but the British offered them Uganda, and they refused it. Thank God. That would have been kind of weird. But he, uh, Theodore Herzl brought a group of people together in 1897. And after the First World Zionist Congress in Switzerland in 1897, he said this. At Basel, I found the Jewish states. And if I said this out loud today, I would be greeted by universal laughter in five years, perhaps, and in certainly 50 years, everyone will perceive it. In 1897, Theodore Herzl began to declare, Israel will become a state. And they laughed at him because no one believed. Listen to this. Seven years later, Theodore Herzl was dead. But exactly 50 years later, on November 29, 1947, the United Nations voted to establish a Jewish state in Palestine. Exactly 50 years to the date that he prophesied it. How many think there's power in the declared word? Especially when you're in line with the Bible. Is anybody with me today? Are you guys following me? You're awful quiet today. You're good listeners. Ezekiel was called in the valley. He said, the Lord said to him in Ezekiel 37.3, Son of man, can these bones live? 
<laughs> and I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. How many know that God is putting us in valleys and places where we're thinking, I'm not sure how this thing's going to turn out, right? I'm not sure, Lord. You said that this would live. You said that this prophetic word would come to pass, Lord. You know. But he calls us again, and, he, and again, the Lord says to him, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. How many know when God calls you to a graveyard to prophesy life, we need his help? Amen? <laughs> so this is what he did. Ezekiel 37, 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bones. And this is a story where we may not understand, but he did not stop after the bones came together. The structure was being put into place, but the breath had not yet come into the bones. You can't have an army without breath. You can't have an army just with some order and structure. And there are times when we're called to prophesy things, but things just haven't come into order yet. We have to wait for the order to come before the, the breath can come into these bones. And that's where we need to continue to prophesy life but we must first also prophesy the order for that to happen. Theodore Herzl, again, he died at 44. Think about what he accomplished in his life. But there was, there was a, there's something that happens in the church that, that what God does in the natural, in the Jewish people, it begins to happen in the church. And if what we see is we see this pattern. I'm just going to mention one today. But during this time in the late uh, and actually in the, the late 19th century, the late, er, the, the late 1800s, Theodor Horschel began to go around to all the Jewish communities, and if they were talking Yiddish, he would yell at them, stop, speak Hebrew, start talking Hebrew, teach your children Hebrew, stop talking Yiddish. And it was a revival in the spoken Hebraic language. And Hebe was the guy who was like yelling at people, stop speaking Yiddish. You need to learn your native tongue. You need to learn Hebrew. And there was a birth again of the Hebrew, Hebrew language. I mean, study in history. It was a dead language. It wasn't spoken anymore except in synagogues. But then they began to use it between themselves. And guess what happened in the church around 1900? Speaking in tongues the gift of speaking of tongues was restored to the church at the beginning of the, ninth, of the 20th century. People began to suddenly speak in other tongues. It was a phenomenon. Everyone was like, what's going on? We, we never had this gift before. We never used it. But do you see the pattern? What was done in the natural with Israel began to take place in the body of Christ in the spiritual. Everybody say, wow. <laughs> That's pretty cool, isn't it? So we see that in Scripture, God calls us to place our order, to begin to declare things, but not stop when it becomes order. Wait and prophesy until we see the life released. So we need to, number three, prophesy the breath. Let's say prophesy the breath. <laughs> we need to prophesy a breath, the life of God. At times in Scripture... They speak of future events as if they've already taken place. It's called the future past. And this is something from Jonathan Kahn's book. So you know in our English language we have past, present, and future. All right? Something that was done, something that's happening, and something that will be done. 
I'm not going to go into an English lesson now, uh, but that's just the basics. But in the Hebrew language, they only have two uh, tenses. It's either perfect or imperfect. It's either done or not done. So this is where it gets weird in the Hebrew language. So the perfect tense speaks of an action that's already finished and thus complete and perfect. The imperfect tense speaks of an action that's unfinished and thus incomplete and imperfect. Am I making sense this morning? How, did you guys do okay in English class? I see Lynn O'Neill back there and your students see how they're doing, okay? So we see that this is important. We understand Hebrew. Now, when you read, when you read this in the Hebrew, it's, it's crazy. So let's look at Isaiah 53, 5. Now, this is a prophecy of the crucifixion in Isaiah 53, 5. And it says, he is pierced for our transgressions. Do we have that verse up there? He is pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is on him, and by his bruise there is healing to us. So when we read this scripture, it's spoken as it already happened, even though Isaiah wrote it 700 years ago before the event took place. That's how confident Isaiah was that when the Messiah came, that this would happen. He would be pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. He's calling it forth as a said and done deal. How much more us, when we look back at the crucifixion, should we have faith when we see Isaiah, before the event even happens, is calling it, it's done. The peace is ours. The healing is ours. The forgiveness is ours. I'm trying to stir you up a little bit this morning using Hebrew language. I don't know. To live in the perfect tense, you must learn the secret of living from that which is already completed, to do from that which is already done, and to triumph from a victory already won. You hear me on that? It's called the future past. I don't see it happen yet, but I'm declaring it as a done deal. Oh, I don't know if you guys are with me this morning. Anyway, here we go. So there are snakes out there. How many like snakes? Come on. You bring your snake. We're going to be bringing them out after service um, just to see, you know, see what happens, you know. No, we don't. But there's a certain snake that will actually swallow eggs. How many have ever seen those before? I think I have a picture of one up there. The serpent is a symbol of evil and of the enemy and the serpent of this kind are known for swallowing eggs. What are, what are the eggs? That which life comes from. So Satan is going after those, those things that are about to bring forth life. The things that are about to bring forth life in your life. That's what Satan's going after to swallow. Because snakes represent lies and wickedness. Think about this. God had promised to gather the Jewish people from the na nations and resurrect the nation of Israel. That's the heart of God, was to bring the people of Israel back together and let their dry bones come together and come back to life to, at, in 1948. This was prophesied and declared. But just before the words of the prophets were to be fulfilled, a satanic fury broke forth on the earth in the form of of Nazism to wipe out the Jewish people just before the prophecies could be fulfilled 
and before Israel could be reborn. Do you see the snake there coming after that prophecy, trying to swallow it right before it was birthed? And this is the same principle that you and I have to understand. We will come against tremendous attack right before the battle breaks for us. This is what's happening in our society now. It looks dark, but we're prophesying life. We're speaking to those dry bones. God, it's happening all out in the public. Dry bones. Dry bones. So everyone can see it when it turns around. The Jewish people weren't hidden in some island in the Pacific that no one knew about. They've been known throughout the world. The Jewish people have been called and created to be an influence, not just in society and politics and, and science and technology, but with the gospel. So there is a lot of thought out there. Can I, can I mess with your theology a little bit just for a second? A few of you are like, is that okay if I mess with your theology? You're like, yeah, yeah, all right. <laughs> So there is this belief, some of the people believe this as a possibility, that instead of trying to evangelize the whole world, that we put all our efforts into winning the nation of Israel to Jesus and to their Messiah, and if we do that, then they will be the great influencers to take over the rest of the world. Have you ever heard that thought before? I'm not saying I believe it, but because... We as a people are meant to minister to people. But Israel as a nation is meant to minister to the nations. So it, there's, there's biblical weight in both arguments. Makes you go, hmm, yeah, thank you. So I want to just convince you about the amount of influence that Israel. Remember, the Jewish people are no bigger than some tribes in China right now. I mean, people that, that we've never heard of that have never even touched our radar, but the Jewish people are less than a percentage point of the world's population, almost completely wiped out through the Nazis. Half of their population was wiped out. But look, listen to this. Amazingly, 12% of all Nobel Prizes in physics, chemistry, and medicine have been awarded to those of Jewish descent. 12%. And they don't even make up a percentage point of the population. Great thinkers or influencers, not necessarily good or bad, I'm just saying they're influencers. Did you hear me say that? They've influenced Albert Einstein, a Jew, Sigmund Freud, a Jew, you know, in inspired psychology, Karl Marx, whose thoughts have governed two-thirds of the world at a time, Marxism. He's a wicked man, but guess what? He was Jewish. His influence their influence had a phenomenal influence upon the way modern man thinks, and they were all Jewish. Influential. What's it say in Ezekiel, I'm sorry, in Genesis, Isaiah 49, <laughs> Isaiah 49, 6. Prophesied, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. How many know we need to be praying for Israel? How many, we need to be declaring these very things. And I believe one of the, the greatest rulers, I believe he was in Russia, one day he saw a man who was a Jew and he goes, that man is why I believe in God. Because if the Jew exists, then my faith is confirmed. His very existence is a testimony that God is real. The nation of Israel is a testimony. Even 
their existence. You know, the Chinese, the Egyptians, the Hindus have been around as long, if not longer, but they have never been dispelled from their land. You hear the difference? That's why Israel as a nation, being coming back as a nation in 1948, is fulfillment of what Ezekiel prophesied. And this is what uh, Ezekiel's told, this is what happens in Ezekiel 37.10. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceeding great army. Did you know the nation of Israel did not have an army for almost 1,900 years after they were kicked out of the land of Israel? And look what God has done to restore this nation. Paul says this, for if their rejection, talking about Israel, means the reconciliation of the world, because Paul lays it out. He said, because the Jews rejected Jesus, the gospel came to everyone else. And he says this, basically, if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? This is what Paul's saying, that if they rejected the good news and it opened up the door for all of us to be reconciled, what will happen when Jewish people began to accept their Messiah, accept Jesus Christ as Lord? Debbie and I come from a movement called uh, the Tukun, uh, Tukun Ministries. It's where we were schooled, uh, and a number of our friends and leaders, they made Aliyah. I mean, they, they went to Israel. They always tell us the story. Israel's like, come, come, come to us. Come visit. Come stay. Come live with us. And you get there, and they're like, go away, go away, go away. You know, it was just, it was, he said it's like demonic what happens when you get there. But they have, they have been establishing, they have been establishing Messianic congregations, and they're preaching the gospel in Hebrew. They're on national TV. They're doing things in the land that hasn't happened for over 1,900 years. Like, they, there's no one is preaching Jesus in Jerusalem. Like we find in the book of Acts, it's happening again. There was 10 Messianic congregations in 1960. Now there's thousands because they are calling the Jewish people to accept Jesus as the Messiah, but keep your Jewish identity. And this is what we're part of. This is a ministry we support. And I want to just say, look at the nation of Israel, my friend. If Yahweh was faithful to the nation of Israel, will he not be faithful to you? And will he not be faithful to America? Someone said this earlier, and I believe it to be true. They said, God chose Israel to be a nation, but America chose God to be their God. Amen? There are promises, and there are prophetic promises that you and I must continue to stand on for our country. Joshua said this again. He said, you know in all your heart and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which Yahweh your God spoke concerning you. Everything has happened to you. Not a single thing has failed. This is the confidence you and I must have according to the prophetic words. There's a great scripture I want to end with today. And this is such a beautiful picture. And Paul is, or the author of Hebrews, whoever you believe, it's Paul, Luke, whoever. He says this, Therefore do not throw away your confidence 
which has a great reward. Hey, guys, you and I need to have our confidence in this season. Can we stand together? Because we're going to close this thing out. I believe that we are in a season that the, the enemy is calling us to throw away our confidence. I may have felt that. Like, we've been tested. Our, our confidence is being tested. We're like, do I still believe? Do I still stand? Do I still speak? Is God going to deliver us? I feel like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know? Like the fire's burning and they're getting ready to throw us in. And then we're thinking, you know what? I'm not throwing away my confidence. I know what my God can do. And when I see what God did with the nation of Israel, I don't know, is somebody else here a little encouraged by what God did with the nation of Israel? It was spoken. It was declared before it was even in the minds of people. Before it was even a thought, it was on God's heart. So don't throw away your confidence. He says this, it has a great reward. Your confidence is going to be rewarded. Isn't that good? You know what I mean? Like God is not just, justice is not just punishing evil, it's rewarding the righteous. God will reward you for your confidence. He says, for you have need of endurance or patience. I might feel like they need some endurance and patience. Amen? We need it. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Do not get distracted from the call of God on your life. Don't throw away your confidence. And let me tell you this as well. We never try to do the promise. We receive the promise. We do the will of God. And when we do the will of God, we receive the promise. Too many people are trying to do the promise. No. Do the will of God. And he goes on to say, For yet a little while, Hebrews chapter 10, the coming of one, uh, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. This is not the time for us to shrink back. How many know God is not shrinking the church? That's what Satan does. He uses his shrinking machine. Tries to shrink us. Make us feel small. Make us think others think we're small. But we're the new giants in the land. I don't know if anybody's told you that lately. We're the new giants in the land. We're not grasshoppers. And I don't think I'm a grasshopper. I believe that one will put a thousand in the flight and two will chase 10,000. I believe that. The enemy is trying to shrink you. Right? Honey, I shrunk the kids. Remember that movie, right? That's a bad day right there. Honey, I shrunk the church. That's what the devil does. God's not shrinking the church. And he closed, let me close with this. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. That's the purpose of our shrinking. Satan wants to destroy us. But I'm not shrinking. Are you going to shrink? No. no. We're going to endure. We're going to stand. We're going to be giants. We're going to be who God spoke to us and called us to be. And we're going to stay on assignment. Don't get off your assignment. That's what the enemy wants you to do. Stay on assignment. Well, pastor, I'm hurting. I'm disappointing. My life's a mess. Welcome to life. Okay? When your life is going good, it's a gift. 
when it's not, it's life. I tell all the Hope House guys, hard is not bad, it's just hard, okay? And it's time we stop looking at the task and letting the task to tell us whether we're strong enough to do it. We got to tell inside of us, it's not the task, it's the amount of strength we have on the inside. And the key to great strength is what? What's the key to great strength? Great joy. I know that's, that's not complicated. You thought I was going to give you like 10 steps, right? The key to great strength is this. <laughs> I'm telling you, the joy of the Lord is your strength. When we laugh, we have strength. It gives us the power and the ability to accomplish the task that's before us. How many have some tasks that are before them? We have to accomplish it. We have to continue to press through. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for these giants, God. Thank you. As we've seen what you've done, the nation of Israel, do it again, God. Do it again, Lord. We stand on your promises. For our nation, we contend, Lord God, that the prophecy spoken over our nation will come to pass we stand in the gap lord we declare righteousness and truth lord that our founding fathers stood upon and established and came into covenant with you we declare lord we say yes to the promises that were made to us and we contend and we'll stand strong and will endure we will not shrink back and be destroyed but we will be saved and we will follow and stand in faith until we see the job done we thank you for it, God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week. Make sure to follow us on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And for more information, videos, sermons, or events, check out our website at igateway.org. Thank you, and have a blessed week.